0: Welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Let's get right to the interview. Here is NDP candidate for Northumberland Peterborough South, Kim MacArthur-Jackson. I'm so pleased to have with me today Kim MacArthur Jackson, the candidate for the NDP in Northumberland Peterborough South. Welcome to consider this.
1: Thank you so much. It's so nice to speak with you again.
0: Let's jump right in. Why did it take so long for you to be selected as a candidate for Northumberland Peterborough South?
1: Actually, that's kind of funny. There was a bit of a a misconception that it took a while, but what had actually happened was I was already um, in the vetting process when everything came down and because uh, the rate was dropped so quickly, of course, they were in the process of vetting quite a lot of candidates. Um, So it ended up taking a bit longer to finish that vetting process. I was already in the works to be the candidate. We just had to get that official go ahead before we could actually announce it.
0: Does this delay hurt your chances in the running? I mean, you really, there was no announcement for uh, quite a bit of time and, and we were almost like a week into the, to the campaign. And um, so you, you got a late start. I mean, is this damaging to what you're gonna try and do?
1: I don't think it is. I think there's um, a lot of people in the writing that are simply just looking to find out what each party is offering um, and are more concerned with the actual platforms and the actual issues, finding out what's going to affect them and how each party's issue uh, platform is going to affect them. So I don't think in the long run that it's going to have a negative impact.
0: Now, was there a nomination meeting? I I don't remember a a meeting being called or any public announcements about this. I mean, were you nominated? Was there a contest?
1: There was not a nomination meeting. I was the only candidate um, that was being looked at, which is part of the reason why there wasn't a nomination meeting. Um, So because I was the only candidate and because I had already been vetted, um, they just went ahead and acclaimed me as the candidate.
0: And this is not the first election that uh, the local writing association has not had a candidate in place at the start of the election. Why why is
1: that? I think to some degree, because we're in an area that historically has not had an NDP MP, um, or MPP for that matter. I believe that probably has a bit to do with it. Um, You tend to you know, really want to look at all of the options before you put your candidate in place when you're in an area that hasn't had that representation before, because you wanna make sure that you're putting somebody forward that is going to help the people of the riding, that is going to be able to speak to the people of the riding and, you know, has a good grasp of the local issues. So, whereas when you've had the riding before as an MP or an MPP, you're kind of just putting forward typically either the same person you have an incumbent or you know somebody in mind already. In this case they want to really take a look at all of the options to make sure that they're putting forth the best person for the local area.
0: NDP has consistently placed third in local federal elections for a very long time. How do you respond when people may say to you uh, the election is really a two-horse race in Northumberland Peterborough South?
1: It is a very, very common thing that people do say because of the history. Um, That's completely accurate. And honestly, where I would come back um, with that is how has that worked out for us? Like how, you know, how do people feel we have been represented by the Conservative Party and by the Liberal Party, Um, particularly people that are, you know, maybe in a more marginalized position or, you know, um, a disenfranchised position. Like, do you feel like you've had good representation from those governments? Do you feel like, you know, they've helped you with the problems that you're facing? Um, One of the things that I do get a lot of feedback on is that a lot of people really feel like you know, the conservative government is very concerned with making cuts to services, which obviously really negatively impacts um, people that are, you know, in in a less than desirable position to begin with. And the liberal government always tends to, you know, kind of talk a good game and say that they're going to help in all of these ways. And then often that doesn't end up coming through. So, you know, why not give NDP a chance? Let us see what we can do and whether we can address those issues.
0: I wonder too, this particular election, there seems to be a very different dynamic amongst voters. And I'm wondering, as you are going out there and you're
1: talking to people, are you noticing any, any difference? I completely agree, and that's the that's the feeling that I'm getting when I'm talking to people as well. There's a lot of people that are really frustrated right now. Um, first and foremost, they're frustrated that we are having an election in you know the beginning of a fourth wave of a pandemic. Um, to a lot of people, it just seems very irresponsible, um, kind of selfish, um, on, on the part of the the current reigning party and. I can't say that I disagree with that. It's, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious why the election was called. Um, but there's also very much a feeling of people are ready for change. They're, they're not happy with how things are going. They're not happy with the response that we've had to the pandemic. Um, they're not happy about the fact that the Liberal Party did break a lot of promises. You know, we're going into an election that we weren't supposed to be having under the first past the post system. And yet here we are. Um, So I think there definitely is a a lot of people looking at this particular election with a much more critical eye and really focusing on what they're expecting from their candidates and what they're expecting from their government. And I think we may see a big change because of that.
0: Uh, I'd like to come back to that a little bit later, but just to move on. I'd like you to talk about you a little bit right now. Um, First of all, why did you decide to run?
1: I've been involved in, not directly involved in politics, but involved in activism. Um, You know, it's very near and dear to my heart to try and, you know, draw attention to and to help, um, especially with situations where people are being marginalized and, you know, maybe aren't being paid attention to. Uh, poverty is a huge issue. Housing right now is an incredibly problematic issue, um, you know, not only in our writing in all writings, but I know it's something that's a big problem around here. And, you know, as much as I'm trying to draw attention to these issues, and I'm trying to do what I can, I finally came to the realization that it's not enough. I need, there's, I need to do more. I need to find a way that I can actually try and make change. And a big way to be able to do that is by representing the people of our riding in Ottawa. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, that's a hard one (laughs) where to start. Um, so I am a mother of five, my, eldest daughter is 26 and my youngest son is nine. Um, So we really kind of run the gamut in, you know what's going on in our household. My eldest is planning her wedding and my youngest is plotting how he can build Stonehenge in our backyard at this time. Um, He's very fascinated with Stonehenge. Um I currently work for a fertility consulting agency. Um, my role basically is involved with teaching intended parents about everything to do with surrogacy. Um, so that before they decide whether it's something they want to proceed with, they completely understand, you know, the financial implications, the legal implications, what the medical process is going to look like. And I'm also the diversity liaison for our company. Um, So I try to make sure that I'm keeping all of our staff completely up to date on, you know, any issues that are happening, um, anything that could potentially affect our staff, our clients, our surrogates, you know, basically anything that's um, that's important and they need to be cognizant of when they're talking to people. Um, And we try to make sure that, you know, we are very, very accepting of You know, everybody, regardless of sexuality, regardless of gender, regardless of religion, culture, anything along those lines, we want to make sure that we're fully accepting in our company. And that's something that I try to really help with.
0: What part of the county do you live in?
1: I used to live in Coburg for years and years and years. I'm actually in Campbellford now, and it's such a beautiful little town.
0: You also mentioned earlier that you uh, have a history of activism. Can you just briefly describe some of the activism that you've participated in?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, most recently, I'm the co-chair of the Northumberland Coalition for Social Justice. Um, that's an organization that tries to draw together all of the various groups in the area um, that are, you know, promoting social justice issues. Um, and we bring them together and basically support each other to try and make sure that the issues are having more attention drawn to them, you know, power in numbers. And I'm also the co-founder of Cobra Queer Collective, and we, again, try to bring together, you know, all the people under the 2SLG-TVQ uh, umbrella in the area, and... You know, pre-COVID, we had a lot of events and that sort of thing, and we also initiated uh, the annual uh, COBRA Pride events that have been happening again up until COVID. Um, So those are both very near and dear to my heart. Um, And I do participate in a lot of other events as well. You know, when the teachers, for example, had um, issues with Mr. Ford, uh, you know, I was there to help with that. Um, and again, with healthcare, especially right now, during a pandemic, we're seeing a lot of issues with healthcare. Um, so being involved with that as well.
0: Running for office is often an a all-consuming job. And if you're elected, it's also a very all-consuming job. How has your family supported you?
1: It's something that we've definitely had to have a discussion about because, you know, if I do get elected, I will be 100% all in in representing the people of Northumberland County and Peterborough South. Um, so we had that discussion on what that was going to look like. My my partner currently, he's a truck driver, so he's gone five days a week, um, you know, home on the weekends. And so clearly if I get elected, there's going to be some changes there. And he's completely supportive. He's you know, so happy that I'm taking this step. And we have the agreement that if I do get elected, then he's gonna be you know, taking a leave of absence from work for a while and looking after the home front while I'm looking after the residents of our riding.
0: I'd like to shift now and start to talk to you about your party's platform. Your party platform says you want to address affordable housing something that is a crisis in Northumberland Uh, you your party offers to build 500,000 units of affordable housing and to give immediate relief to renters who need it. The county has a 10 year waiting list for affordable housing, and it has had this for decades in the face of multiple initiatives by the county and others. How is this plan that your party is offering going to change this in a substantial way? In other words, move this needle because stuff is already being done, stuff is being worked on very hard and yet this doesn't change. So what is your platform going to do that's going to significantly change this?
1: Well, one of the things that we want to do is work with, of course, municipalities um, and the provincial governments as well in getting this stuff moving. Like, like you said, it's, it's something that's been, you know, talked about and been in process for quite some time, but nothing has actually happened. Um, so there's a lot of resources that we can put forth to make these things begin to happen, like, you know, putting startup funds out there so that things can get moving, um, you know, using our resources like underused uh, federal properties or unused federal properties to be able to help with that.
0: There are already initiatives and people are working hard at this I don't want to take away from the efforts of the county or the municipalities or developers and trying to do stuff. But you know you're talking about 500,000 units so let's be specific over what period of time, are we going to develop 500,000 units.
1: Um, the idea is to develop the 500,000 units over a 10 year time timeframe um, with having a minimum of 250,000 units in place within five years.
0: Okay, now, with a population as big as Canada, and all the time it seems to be the major urban centers seem to get the attention, what is going to draw people's attention to Northumberland and, again, help with this systemic problem?
1: And the short answer is me. That's exactly what I want to do: is be that person that's there, advocating for our riding and drawing attention to the very real problems that we have here. We have an incredibly um, short, an incredible shortage. Sorry, of housing in this area. Um, it's I hear people talking about trying to find affordable rentals, and never mind finding affordable rentals; just finding rentals period affordable or otherwise is almost impossible. So when you're trying to do that on a very limited budget because you don't have all kinds of money to throw towards where you're going to live, that makes it even worse. And that's something that is a very big problem in this area and I would really like the opportunity to be able to address that because as it stands currently and I'm not trying to say that you know the the provincial or um, municipal governments aren't working on it. I don't want to come across that way at all. I would just like to see a push to be able to move it forward more quickly so that our residents have somewhere that they can go to live.
0: Okay, forgive me, but you say it's if we elect you, but your predecessors have had the same intentions and have made the same statements. You know, if I talk to any candidate, they're gonna say, well, if you send me, I'm the guy or I'm the person that's going to make the difference. So. Can you give me something specific or make some kind of promise to people that says that, you know, you're going to get action where others have not?
1: Absolutely. And I can, that's totally fair. I can see where you're coming from there. Absolutely. Um, because unfortunately, that is the nature of an election. And when you're talking to candidates, everybody is going to say, oh, elect me and I'm going to do everything for you. Um, one thing that I can share, and I think that the, this really does make a difference, is um, you know, having been in the position, um, you know, during my younger years, I was uh, a young single mom, you know, working multiple jobs, looking after my kids, and, you know, supporting them on my own. So I have a very, very real connection to this problem, because I remember what it was like. And back then, it was nothing like it is now, like it It was difficult to find affordable housing, but it wasn't impossible. Now it seems to be impossible. And I can't imagine being in that position now that I was in back then, having to try and find somewhere safe for me, my children to live. And because I have that personal connection, I really want to see this change because it's not fair to the people that are living here.
0: Your leader also announced uh, immediate relief to renters. Now, renters can already get relief from the county if, if they need to. So what is your party planning that's different, that's going to be either a a different approach or uh, in addition to what's already being offered?
1: It's basically, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of fall in the cracks. There's people that are in that unenviable position where either, um, you know, they make a little bit too much to be able to access the current available options um, or, you know, anybody who's not able to access that funding it's those people that we want to make sure that we're focusing on because there's a lot of people out there that either you know are just over the threshold or you know don't meet the the current requirements because of the prior year's income but their current year's income is very different that sort of thing we want to try and address the people that are falling through the cracks the people that aren't um you know in that perfect box area of who's eligible for this assistance
0: now, he said that he's offering $5,000 in rental support for families uh, if, if the party wins. Now, Coburg, you look at it, and a rental for a two or three bedroom house is about $2,500 or more a month. Um, I've seen one and two bedroom apartments, uh, the cheapest you can get is like $1,500, and, and some of them are a lot more. How is $5,000 really gonna help anybody in that context?
1: Well, $5,000, if you look at it kind of in the short view, um, it's like, okay, that's two months rent. You know, how how is two months rent gonna help? Um, But if you look at it more of in the big picture, affordable housing, so $2,500 house, for example, um, what would be a more affordable price for that house? We're looking back on, you know, maybe $1,700, $1,800 a month as being a more affordable price for that property, or even less. So, if you're taking that five thousand dollars and you're extending it over, you know, a longer period of time, so let's say five or six months, to help lower the monthly cost of the housing, as opposed to simply covering two months' rent, and that gives us the ability to get in, you know, assess where the problems are with the current, um, the current issues that are, you know, being put forth as far as housing being built in the the county that gives us that time to be able to assess what those issues are and how we can help to move that forward more quickly and get things moving so that we have more housing available.
0: What about though the fact that a lot of housing seems to be being gobbled up uh, very quickly Uh, especially after the pandemic Uh, any house that goes for sale it goes quickly if you talk to a real estate agent they'll tell you there are multiple bids on these houses and then they're being turned into investment properties that are being rented meanwhile we're watching local housing prices go through the roof how do you intend to deal with that because that also contributes to the high rental rates
1: Absolutely. And there's a couple of different factors that we're approaching this with. Um, so one of those things is approaching it from a um, an incentive perspective. Um, so basically having incentives in place in order to encourage builders to be building more affordable housing. Um, with those incentives, we're hoping that that will push people towards building more affordable housing as opposed to building, housing, like you said, for basically maximum profit. Um, Another way to be able to address that is through taxation. Um, As it stands currently, you know, with the current capital gains, for example, being at 50%, um, we increase that and then suddenly buying a property and turning it over very quickly for that profit, is not going to be as attractive because the amount of tax that's going to be paid on it is going to be higher through that particular program. Um, So there's definitely a few different ways that we can come at it. Um, And I think it's really going to be a mixture of those different options that's going to make a difference. I don't think there's any one particular approach that's going to help this issue. It's going to have to be multiple approaches coming together to improve the situation.
0: High speed internet is a big issue in Northumberland, and your party is promising uh, internet accessibility as an essential service. There, there's talk of creating price caps for services and abolishing data caps. For those who are not technically savvy and listening in today, what does this mean in terms of accessibility to high quality, reliable internet in rural areas within the county?
1: It's all about basically investing in um, the infrastructure to be able to provide that. The main reason that a lot of people don't have access to decent internet is simply because the infrastructure is not in place for it. Um, So providing incentives and providing funding to get those lines laid for, you know, to basically simplify it right down. We need to have the the lines in place for people to be able to access it. That's key, because I mean, we're living in a world now where internet access is a requirement. I mean, look at how we're doing this meeting today. That's a perfect example. And, you know, a lot of people are working from home now. Um, A lot of kids were doing schooling from home and without having a proper internet access, they weren't able to get the, the signal they needed to be able to do that.
0: Uh, there's no doubt there's a demand for it, but there are also mm-hmm. our current programs underway that, exactly like you've just described. So what again makes this different? I mean, liberals have been working on this. We, we've seen announcements recently by the province working on this. I mean, there's been literally millions of dollars being pushed towards this, these kinds of projects. So why is this particularly different than anything that's going on currently?
1: I think where the big difference comes in is that you're right, it is something that we've been hearing about for a long time and yet we haven't really seen that change. I mean, the people that I'm talking to that live in the more rural areas of the riding um, have been hearing for a long time that there's going to be improvements being put in place so that they will have better access and yet they still don't. Um, It really comes down to whether or not you think um, the current government or the conservative government are going to move forward on those promises and make things happen and unfortunately what we're seeing a lot of the time is these promises are being made but they're not happening and we want the opportunity to be able to make them happen
0: how are you going to legislate price caps and data caps without creating bigger problems i mean isn't it just better to let the marketplace sort these things out
1: there can be situations where it would be easier to do that or where it would be um, better to do that. And those are in situations where you have a lot more companies that are actually providing these services. Um, unfortunately, we aren't the U.S. We don't have you know, the shared number of companies that they have in the U.S. that kind of keep those prices in check. And because of that, we have a very monopolized industry, which means I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you a very personal example. Um, when we moved to Campbellford, I was looking into changing all of our cell phones. And historically, what I always do is I go on all of the websites. I check Telus, I check Bell, I check Rogers, go through all of them, see what the prices are and everything. And usually like there's, you know, little differences. This one might be a bit cheaper, but it offers, um, you know, less of this. This one's a bit more expensive, but it offers more of this. When I went on last year to look at this, they were Identical completely identical. The price, what was being offered, everything was identical. How how do you have a competitive industry when they're making sure that all of their offerings are identical? You can't. And the only way, unfortunately, around that is to have legislation that does put caps on it.
0: Your party talks about giving Canadians better public services. Your platform proposes to spend more on healthcare, postal services to stop privatization of public services. How is this not going to become hugely expensive and not push up uh, taxes and become a bloated inefficient system?
1: There's a couple of different ways um, that we can definitely look at that. So when it comes to healthcare, for example, if there's one thing we've learned during COVID, it's that we definitely have some drawbacks to our healthcare system. Um, We have shortages. There's a lot of areas that don't have either resources, um, doctors, nurses, actual um, equipment, and that sort of thing. Um, And what what ends up happening in the long run is that ends up costing the healthcare system a lot more money than it should because people are using... For example, the emergency room because they don't have a doctor to go to. They have to go to the emergency room um, instead of going to a walk-in clinic. They're going to the emergency room. Um, so a lot of putting a lot of these things in place, you know, having more doctors, more resources, more nurses, is actually going to lower the cost of a lot of healthcare because people are going to be able to obtain access to health in a much cheaper manner. For example, one of the things that we want to implement is um, a really robust virtual healthcare system. Let's be realistic. You don't always need to go to the doctor for every issue that you have. And if we have a good virtual healthcare system where, you know, you can have a meeting much like this, for example, um, you know, go through what the issue is, especially if it's something that's a recurring issue and the doctor knows it's been a recurring issue. They have, um, you know, that history. That can save a lot of money so it doesn't necessarily um, it may cost more money to implement it initially but it's going to save money in the long run
0: kim i i really appreciate your analysis and i think there's a lot of people that would agree with how troubled our systems are but my question was about cost and creating bloated inefficient systems so i'd like you to address that how do we avoid creating uh, hikes and taxes and and more uh things that just don't work. Because I know listeners are out there will be saying, you know, this is going to cost me more because you guys are promising more. So could you address that rather than the, the systemic issues?
1: Well, they're kind of intertwined. And and I think that's what I was trying to get at. So I do completely understand what you're asking Um, when it comes to cost. That's something that people are very, very focused on. Where's the money going to come from for all of these programs that we're talking about? Um, And there's a couple of different things. So number one, we are going to be making changes to the tax system, of course. Um, We wanna make sure that um, the current loopholes that are open, they need to be closed. We need to make sure that, um, you know, corporations are paying their fair share, that the extremely wealthy are paying their fair share and that they're not able to kind of get out of doing that by using the loopholes that are currently in place. So that's a big part of it. Um, another big part of it as well is just ensuring that what is being implemented is absolutely going to be positive in the long run. It's, there's a difference between spending money and investing money. So when you're spending money, you're not necessarily seeing the return coming back. When you're investing, that's a completely different story. The whole point of investing is to see that money coming back. And that's what we want to do with these programs is invest in them so that we're seeing a return and they eventually pay for themselves, like with childcare and with um, PharmaCare. They will pay for themselves in the long run because of the savings that they're going to implement.
0: Okay, the the taxes that you talk about on the business and corporations and on wealthy individuals. I'd like to talk a bit about that because in 1990, 12 countries in Europe had a wealth tax. And today there are only three. I think it's Norway, Spain, and Switzerland. Anyways, according to the OECD, that's uh, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, And others have done studies on this, and there are some clear themes about these kinds of policies. First of all, they become expensive to administer. It was hard on people with lots of assets, but little cash. It distorted savings and investment decisions. It pushed the rich and their money out of the taxing countries. And probably worst of all, it didn't raise a lot of revenue. With all these kinds of hurdles, why is this a good solution for Canada?
1: A lot of it comes down to how it's being implemented. If you implement it in such a way that it's more of a hindrance than it is a help because you're, um, like you said, having difficulty with, you know, narrowing everything down, deciding what's being taxed, who's being taxed, how it's being taxed, you know, putting forth the, um, the people from Revenue Canada to be able to go after and figure all of this out that can be a hindrance if it's not done properly. So a lot of it is absolutely about making sure that it's done properly. Something like increasing the capital gains tax, that's a very simple and easy way to be able to, um, you know, accommodate for some of those, um, some of those missing taxes that we're talking about. Um, Is it a perfect solution? No, but it is a solution um, in the short term for sure. And it ensures that, you know, when people are selling, assets, whether it's, you know, investments, um, housing and that sort of thing, that a fair amount of tax is being paid on that. Um, I don't think it's necessarily fair that, you know, people who are working are paying the full amount of income tax, but people who have a passive income that doesn't require them to actually work are able to pay less tax than people who are working even though it's a passive income. Um, and I don't think that working Canadians would feel that that was fair either.
0: Okay, when you mentioned though, the capital gains in housing, there's a lot of people out there that buy a house as an investment for when they retire, they sell it, it comes back. Is that kind of thing gonna be taxed as well?
1: No, that's the whole point of um, this particular program is that your principal residence, so if you know, you're buying your first house, after a certain amount of time, you're gonna sell that house, you're gonna buy a new house and that sort of thing. Your principal residence is not going to be taxed in that way because it's exempt from that particular policy. It's only investment properties that are going to be Im- affected by that.
0: In the last election, the Liberals promised Pharmacare and they, said, uh, they say it didn't move forward because the pandemic became the overwhelming priority and a lot of things that they promised in the last election couldn't be worked on. We watch successive governments make these kinds of promises and then nothing happens. Why should we believe the NDP is going to do anything about pharmacare this time that's different?
1: Well, for one thing, the NDP doesn't have the history um, that the other two parties have of making these types of promises and then going back on them. we don't have obviously a whole lot of data from a federal standpoint, um, but when you look at you know the various provincial NDP governments that have gone in, they you know by and large they try to make sure that the first thing that they're doing is keeping those promises that they've made during their campaigns. Um, I think there is a very different feel to the NDP than there is to the other parties in that. The overwhelming majority of people who support the NDP, um, that you know, run under the NDP, are people that have dealt with the issues that they're talking about. And I think there's a big difference between talking about an issue that you've experienced personally and talking about an experience that your team has told you is something that your constituents want to hear about. Um, When you've experienced it personally, you have far more of a vested interest in making sure that it's addressed because you've been there, you know how it feels and you wanna help to fix the problem. And that's a huge part of the NDP platform is trying to fix those problems that we've experienced.
0: Have you experienced this?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it. if you look back at anybody who knows me, if you look back at my entire life, um, you know, I was a, a young mother, I had my first daughter when I was very young, and was very, very determined to make sure that I did well for myself and, and for my child. Um, so I worked multiple jobs, I supported her on my own. Um, so I've dealt with, you know, poverty. Absolutely. I mean, I remember very well, Making sure that my daughter had really good meals while I was having, like, a slice of bread with butter or um, Mr. Noodles, good old Mr. Noodles. Um, I absolutely remember what it was like to go through that, to try to make sure that I was providing as much as possible for my child and, you know, wanting to do better for her and wanting to improve um, myself and our life. For her, so that she could grow up with a better life. Um, and quite honestly, I was able to do that um, through a lot of hard work. I was able to improve my situation. But a lot of it, honestly, was also luck. Um, you know, I started working in the banking industry, that was extremely beneficial for me because I was able to learn about how to best support us financially, how to save. Um, you know, it, it gave me such a good base to be able to work up from and that's something that the overwhelming majority of people who are living in poverty don't have the opportunity to do Um, so it's all about giving people opportunities and what i'm seeing right now is that we're very much starting people off in a deficit instead of starting them off in a positive Um, you know even when it comes to kids graduating from school and going to post-secondary By the time they've graduated post-secondary, they are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. How is that a way to actually start off your adult life? So
0: what is your party doing about that?
1: Well, that's one of the things that we definitely want to address is having post-secondary education being available to everybody um, and that it should be free for everybody. Um, There's no reason that everybody should be going so far into debt in order to get that education. And we've seen in countries around the world, there are a lot of countries that include post-secondary education as part of their basic education. And they have a much more well-educated uh, populace because people are actually able to afford it. It's not, some, it's not a matter of, can I afford to get this better education that's going to better my life? It's, it's there, it's available, I can do it. Um, and that makes a huge difference overall.
0: I'd like to bring bring us back to the theme of healthcare, and there have been several deaths recently in Northumberland due to opioid overdoses and the police are very worried, as are many agencies, what is your party prepared to do about this local and national crisis.
1: It is absolutely a crisis and it's something that needs to be addressed it's it's been going on for so long and we haven't seen anything positive being done about it. Like, it's, it's definitely something that we're hearing people talk about, but we're not seeing any actual changes. Um, and, and that's something we need to be able to provide help for people so that they can um, have the opportunity to, you know, get clean, to be able to get their lives back in order. And a huge part of the opioid crisis, you know, comes back to, um, at the very root of it, mental health. Um, it comes back to poverty. It comes back to, um, you know, the inability to find somewhere to live, the inability to find a good job. Um, All of these things are are things that can crush down on a person and make them feel like what's the difference? And it's definitely something that we need to be able to help with. And first and foremost, we need to get, um, we need to get the ability for people to get into somewhere to, to get cleaned up and to, to help themselves um, move forward. And then we need to address those root causes to help eradicate the problem as a whole.
0: Moving on, if I'm a business owner in Northumberland, and I might be very nervous about voting for the NDP since it's always associated with unions and working people. How can you convince me that the NDP will not hurt my business and help me, especially as we slowly emerge from the pandemic?
1: There's a few different ways that we really want to help um, small businesses. Small businesses are suffering right now. Um, You know, throughout the pandemic, as we were having lockdowns, there was a lot of people that... um, Unfortunately, we're put in the position where they had to close their small businesses where the the big box stores were being allowed to stay open, and that's really negatively impacted their businesses. Um, So we do have a number of plans in place to help small businesses be able to get back up on their feet. Um, So we're going to be continuing uh, wage and rent subsidies during this time while they're getting back up on their feet, um, and getting fully reopened again so that they're at full, uh, full access again. Um, we want to put into place uh, long-term hiring bonuses. Um, so basically we'll be covering the costs of EI and CPP when they're hiring so that they can bring employees into the businesses, um, capping credit card merchant fees credit card merchant fees are, incredibly high, and when you're a big corporation, you have a lot more ability to be able to negotiate those costs down. But as a small business, you don't have that backup to be able to negotiate those fees down. Um, So putting a cap on those so that you're not being overcharged when your uh, customers are using, for example, um, Interact credit card, um, TAP, that sort of thing. So that's a big part of it as well, um, is trying to help cap those but one of
0: the things your platform proposes is these supports for hiring people and you've mentioned some of them and you know when you go around the county drive around anywhere in the county all kinds of signs up saying we're hiring we're hiring we're hiring yet many times these jobs end up being part-time or precarious positions with no benefits and people have to find as you talked about in your own experience two or more jobs just to pay the rent to eat to get around What is the way your party is proposing to move the economy away from precarious labor and towards more full time jobs with benefits and living wages? And there's
1: definitely a couple of different factors that are going to help with that. So when you have something in place like PharmaCare, for example, that's going to make the cost of benefits for your employees quite a bit lower because the drug plan doesn't have to be covered by that. So that's going to make a big difference. That's some savings in the businesses' pockets. Um, And businesses are more able to offer better benefit packages or offer benefit packages at all if they haven't been able to previously, because the cost has been lowered by taking um, the drug plan out of that. Um, So that's part of it. A lot of it as well is just putting forth incentives for businesses to be hiring full-time. Um, so, you know, we're able to offer um, specific incentives when it comes to taxes, specific incentives when it comes to subsidies to encourage people to be hiring full-time employees instead of multiple part-time employees so that people do have a less precarious position. They know that their job is safe um, and they know that they're going to be able to earn a living wage.
0: Agriculture is the largest industry in Northumberland, and many farmers are concerned about having sufficient support systems in place to help them when they need it most. What is your party prepared to do to make the necessary changes so farmers can depend on supports to get them when they need them and the amounts that they need?
1: So there's a a few different things that we have planned for that. Um, One of the things is implementing um, a Canadian food strategy across the country so that we have um, a good strategy in place that applies regardless of where you are, instead of kind of having piecemeal programs based on um, what province you live in. That's going to be a big part of it. Another big part of it is going to be uh, protecting supply management. Um, we want to make sure that everybody's being fully protected and that there's um, reciprocity when we're doing trade negotiations. We don't want on our side, you know, we have to make concessions when it comes to trade and the other side doesn't have to. We need to make sure that everything is very equal on either side to help protect um farmers when we're going into trade negotiations. Um, and having a payment protection um, in plant in place for um, produce growers. We need to make sure that we have these programs in place to protect the income. Um, so that you know if you do have a year where, for example, you don't have as much coming in because we have more rain than average or less rain than average, that they're being protected and they're not having to suffer because of that.
0: People can go to your party's website and learn a lot about your policies around climate change. I'd like to ask you what you do in your personal life to make a difference regarding climate change.
1: A lot of the things that we do are a lot of the things that honestly a lot of people do. So, you know, like not um, not Buying water, using water bottles all the time, minimizing our water use, um, trying to make sure that we're timing when we're doing, um, you know, laundry, running the dishwasher, and that kind of thing for later in the evening, so that we're not, um, you know, negatively affecting the power grid, especially when it's so hot out. Um, so making sure that we're composting and recycling as much as humanly possible. So a lot of that is, you know, kind of the same old, same old. And a lot of it just comes down to reusing, especially when you have kids, one things that kids always want is, um, you know, art supplies. They want to be able to have new things so that they can build and that sort of thing. So one of the big things that we do in our house is reuse things as much as humanly possible. Um, even just silly little things like, um, you know, containers, food containers, washing them and saving them and the kids using them for their art projects and building projects and and that sort of thing. Um, So just basically trying to do everything that we can um, to make sure that we're minimizing the amount of waste that we're putting out Um, and also being very cognizant of, you know, the amount of water that we're using, the amount of electricity that we're using. Um, One thing that I'm constantly doing is flipping lights off, making sure lights are flipped off Um, and honestly putting in a better, Um, sorry, the word's escaping me at the moment, Um, retrofitting. There we go, sorry. Um, So one of the things when we moved into this particular house, it's a very old house, it's a 120 year old house. Needless to say, it didn't have a lot of the, the modern conveniences like central air and that sort of thing um, so what the previous owners had was like you know those big bulky air conditioning units and you know that sort of thing just to kind of help keep the house cool when it's really hot um so one of the things that we've been trying to do is um you know retrofit with more energy efficient options um so we've just had some units installed that are going to help with that so we can get rid of those big bulky units um and i think we're going to see a lot of that going forward um a lot of people and to try and you know know make their homes more energy efficient
0: earlier on in our conversation we talked about the current political climate and I'd like to talk to you about that now what was your reaction to the rally held when uh, Justin Trudeau did a campaign stop on August 17th where there were protesters swearing at him yelling obscenities and being physically and vocally aggressive
1: that was very very disappointing, Um, as much as I don't agree with a lot of the Liberal Party's policies and as much as I don't agree with a lot of what Justin Trudeau has done, he is still our Prime Minister, Um, you know, treating people with uh, respect is and should be part of who we are as people. Um, There's definitely ways that you can protest and make your voice heard without being vulgar and without being ignorant. Um, And I don't think that's unfortunately what we saw that day. Um, And that's not to say that the protesters shouldn't have been there. Absolutely, they should have been there. But there's definitely a way I think that they could have approached it um, that would have gotten a better result. Um, And it makes it a bit too easy as well. When, when you're coming at somebody like that and you're swearing at them and you're being so negative towards them, it's very easy for them to just ignore you because of the way that you've come across, because it's easy to ignore someone who's swearing at you. If you're coming at them with, you know, a specific statement in mind and doing it in a way that's not so negative. It's much more difficult uh, much more difficult, sorry, for them to ignore what you're saying um, and it puts them in a position where they have to address what you're saying or else they look like they're being negative.
0: Okay, I, I can understand your points and they're really good points, but uh, I wonder if these people really care about that. And if you watch, there's been other videos and other campaign stops where this is going on. And there's so much yelling and screaming and noise. You, do you wonder, I mean, is anyone really listening? And what does this tell us about the current cl- political climate in this country?
1: No, absolutely. Um, I, I think it tells us that a lot of people are just fed up. They're, they're tired of the status quo. They're, they're tired of not seeing any change. Um, and they don't know how else to express how they're feeling. And so that's how it's coming across. Um, and I do think it's something that, you know, you know, it's easy to ignore. I don't think it is something that should be ignored. Um, you know, in, in, anytime if somebody was to come to, you know, an event that I was having and was screaming obscenities at me, yes, the easy route to be to take would be to ignore it and just kind of, you know, brush it off as somebody being volatile But you have to look at the root. Why are they screaming and yelling at you like that? What has upset them so much that they're willing to come and do that? Um, And that's, I think, the key is looking at what those roots are, what's causing them to come and do that and addressing that.
0: What do you think it is?
1: I think a lot of people feel very disappointed. Disappointed in the government's response to COVID. um, A lot of the time it seemed like we were kind of constantly coming from behind. We were coming from behind when it came to whether or not to close the borders. We were coming from behind whether or not to stop travel. We were coming from behind when it came to getting vaccines. Um, You know, luckily we were able to play catch-up and that was good, but I think a lot of Canadians are feeling like they were made to suffer unnecessarily because of all of those delays. Had it been addressed right away maybe we wouldn't have had to deal with as many lockdowns as we did maybe we wouldn't have had to have as many restrictions as we have um and you know when it came to even giving financial help during the covid crisis like the liberal government wasn't initially planning on doing very much to help Canadians um, from a financial standpoint, if they had to be off work, for example, because of COVID. Um, and it was the NDP government, the NDP MPs, that actually pushed for a higher um, a higher amount of financial help, so that people could actually still afford to live and afford to pay the rent, even though they weren't able to be at work because of COVID. Um, And I think a lot all of that has just kind of escalated into a huge amount of frustration for a lot of people.
0: There is so much division in politics today and the use of wedge issues, it does not feel like we are a unified country, despite the rhetoric. Can you say something positive about the current MP Philip Lawrence and the others that you're running against.
1: Absolutely. One of the things that I feel very strongly about is negative campaigning. I am not a fan of negative campaigning. Um, I want to be able to tell people about what I'm going to be able to do to help and not, you know, put down others to try and boost up my place in the election. Um, And, you know, Mr. Lawrence has been in place for a couple of years now, and I'm sure he was doing his very best to try and um, Helped the residents of Northumberland during the COVID crisis, and um, unfortunately, I don't know a whole lot about um, my my Liberal opponent opponent, um, other than you know what I've read. Um, as far as I can see, everybody that's running locally, you know, they're very good people. They you know, their hearts are in the right place. Um, I just don't think I necessarily agree with their party's stances. Obviously they feel differently or they wouldn't be running for their parties. Um, but we just, we have a fundamental uh, difference in how we see change and how we see things going forward to improve lives for Canadians.
0: What has it been like on the campaign trail? What are people saying to you? And, and, and in particular with all the heat, what has it been like?
1: It's it's been very unique in a lot of ways. Um, so I mean, number one, of course, there's been a lot more virtual, um, virtual conversations than there has been in-person conversations because people are still very hesitant um, to get too close and and to you know um, still a lot of social distancing, which is a good thing. You know, we want to be as careful as possible. Um, so it's definitely been unique in the way that. I haven't been able to get out and just, you know, talk to people the way that you normally would in a campaign. Um, But a lot of people have been, um, you know, expressing frustration at the fact that we are having an election, um, but open to listening to what the party has to offer, you know, what changes we want to make and that sort of thing. Um, But yeah, I would say probably the main things that I've been hearing is, why now? <laughs> and um, and then just, you know, like you said, it's been incredibly hot. So I think a lot of people have just been avoiding the outdoors as much as human po- humanly possible as well, which has given me the opportunity to talk to a lot more people virtually because nobody wants to leave the house.
0: Kim MacArthur Jackson, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: That was Kim MacArthur Jackson, candidate for the NDP. Remember, you can hear the full interviews with bonus material on my website at www.consider-this.ca. That's www.consider-this.ca. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in.